right. But is there a German word for sometimes I feel like a woman and sometimes I feel like a sewer gremlin? <laughs> I don't think so. No, we just call you sewer gremlin. Sewer gremlin! <laughs> I want to know how to say that in German. <laughs> Hot pot of the South, not your daddy's Appalachia. Hot pot of the South, progress cannot wait. Hello everyone and welcome to Pot of the South, a production of Change Tennessee. Pull up a chair and refill your sweet tea as we peel back the layers of Southern politics to get a better understanding of what's going on and why it matters. My name is Gabe and joining me today is the newest addition to the Pot of the South family, Knoxville's gayest forger of shiny math rocks, Maggie Loveday. Hello! Today, in honor of Pride Month, happy Pride, everybody, we're going to discuss an issue that really shouldn't be an issue, It's and that's trans rights, because as we all know, trans rights are human rights, shouldn't be a, to- a hot topic, but unfortunately, that is. Uh, and joining us for this incredibly important discussion is the Equestra Gay, Saxon. Hi! <laughs> I'm Saxon. I'm a trans non binary equestra. I work specifically in equine physiotherapy, and I'm really happy to be here with you guys today. Thank you again for joining us, Saxon. Before we jump into this topic and discuss why exactly trans rights are human rights and then the legal attacks on them right now, what's something that you feel needs a good spotlight, Saxon? Uh, yeah, so as an equine physiotherapist, y'all turn out your damn horses, please. They're grazing animals. They need... That's all. <laughs> run in the Let fields. them run in the field. Let them prance. As someone who only knows horses by making fun of the horse girl in my high school classes. What does that mean to turn out a horse? Yeah, so a lot of horses are kept in stalls just sort of for people's convenience. But, you know, they they evolved to be out prancing and being pretty, eating grass. It's really important for their digestion and their hooves. So if you have horses, I know it's easy and it's nice for them to be in a stall and for them to be clean, but... Let them go outside and roll in the mud. <laughs> They'll be happy. So I'm assuming a horse stall probably isn't that big then. I mean, I see the, like, the carriers on the highway. Like, is it, How much bigger than those carriers is like a traditional horse stall then? Uh, average size is about 12 feet by 12 feet. So they can turn around and lie down. It's not fun. Like, I don't want to spend all day in a 12 by 12 box. That's not ideal. <laughs> It's like asking people to sit in a uh, two by three cubicle. Yeah, like you're saying, Maggie, like a two by two cubicle is pretty tiny. That's that's not fun. And we go insane in doing that. So I imagine a 12 by 12 area for a horse. They're a little bigger than people. So even though it's bigger, it's probably not comfortable still. Turn out your horses, let them run, let them be free. Let them get all their little exercise like a five-year-old on a sugar rush, it sounds like. Exactly. Now that we know how to one step more of how to take care of horses, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to dive right into our topic of the day. This week's episode is brought to you by the Koch Foundation. Over the past several years, they have funneled millions of dollars into stopping gay and trans rights. Unlike minorities, the Koch Foundation is a firm believer in corporate rights. This week's episode is brought to you by the Koch Foundation. 
Over the past several years, they have funneled millions of dollars into stopping gay and trans rights. One thing they do support, though, are corporate rights and believe they should be protected at all costs. The Koch Foundation. We believe corporations should have more protection than people. This week's episode is brought to you by the Koch Foundation. Over the past several years, they have funneled millions of dollars into stopping gay and trans rights. One thing they do support, though, are corporate rights and believe they should be protected at all costs. The Koch Foundation. We believe corporations should have more protection than people. Welcome back, everybody, and again, thank you for joining us today as we talk about trans rights. So just to start off with, so we were all kind of working on the same page, we want to break down on what it means to be trans and then the kind of the big differences or differentiators between different members in the community. I think a lot of people are already fairly familiar with the term like cisgender. And from my understanding, a cisgender individual is just somebody who identifies with the gender of their birth. Is That's pretty accurate. Yep, yep. And then when we actually start getting into the trans community, you know, you have trans men, trans women who are people who were born one and then transitioned to the other. And to be a trans man or trans woman, you don't necessarily have to go through any medical procedure, correct? If that, if this is how you feel, you identify born a woman and identify as a man. Exactly. Saxon, do you kind of want to explain then the differences? Well, do you mean like non-binary versus trans man, trans woman, that kind of distinction? Yeah, exactly. Like you said, you know, as a member of the community, as a non, non-binary member of the community, I mean, we're kind of trying to start with the broadest descriptions and narrow it down that way, everybody listening is kind of on the same page and has a the same basic understanding of the diversity within the community. Yeah, for sure. So I can kind of start with how I identify. I am trans, which means that I don't identify with the gender I was assigned at birth. And non-binary just means that I don't identify with the traditional binary genders. I am not a woman. I'm not a man. And it's not a third category. It's a way for me to tell you what I'm not. So there are infinite ways to experience gender outside of being a man or being a woman. And that's a very individual experience. Personally, I found that I like the term gender fluid. I find that I move between several different iterations, combinations of all kinds of masculinity and femininity. That's just how I experience gender fluidity. Lots of people may experience that differently. Some people may go between identifying as a man or feeling like a woman, and that's the way that they flow, but everybody is different. So it's really important to remember that when you meet trans people, and if you have connections with them and they do share their identity with you, then they're not representing the whole community because there are so many ways to be trans and they're all really beautiful and special and should be respected as such. Yeah, because the labels have expanded quite a bit too. The language is really evolving, which is pretty cool to see. It's cool that we have so many words we can use to describe ourselves and our experience. As a cisgender male, you know, I wasn't really exposed to the trans community until much later in life, especially here in the South. It's really cool to 
kind of hear from you and Maggie and other people who exposed me to the trans community, how the language is really moving to be more inclusive, to get rid of any form of gatekeeping that might hold people back from coming out in however form that is, and opening more people up to the community and really showing them how beautiful it is. I think it's nice too, because as far as your label goes, you get to, I mean, like, it's who you are. It's your identity. You make what you make it what you want it to be kind of thing. There are overarching labels that help with identifying who you are to the larger community. But when it comes to the people that are around you, those are the ones that really matter. And so that's when you're like, man, I'm having some real gender dysphoria today. So I don't know how I feel about this shirt. Do I look okay? <laughs> or the community is evolving. And so like one of the things that you know, we talk about with the indigenous futurisms and decolonizing gender being two-spirited or going away from the label of two-spirit because that's for a specific tribe and region. We're now using the label indigiqueer, which is a really great label because it tells you right off the bat they're indigenous and they're gay. And that could be their gender or their sexuality. It doesn't matter. I think the coolest thing, kind of like Maggie was saying about these words, is that we're coming up with them ourselves. Like, these are user-created. I mean, this is not like some institution telling us these are the words that you have to describe yourself. Like, we've only had male and female for how long? For forever? And now we're saying like, hey, screw you. Like, we can do better than that. I think that's the coolest part, honestly. Seeing people come up with words like nibbling, which is uh, gender-inclusive for niece and like, nephew. Niece and nephew. You? Yeah. Like, that's so cool. I love that. I don't know that I would ever use that word, but I think it's great that someone came up with it, you know? And I think that it's great that we've been able to take that power back. <laughs> we have the power now and we can do whatever we want. We can make language fit us exactly how we want it to. I mean, yeah. One of the greatest playwrights, or one of the people who's regarded as one of the greatest playwrights of all time, William Shakespeare, was known for just making up a fuck ton of words. Like, I'm just going to, I need, I need a four syllable word to fit for my prose right here. Boom. I'm going to write something down and the language evolved and it's still evolving. And so you know, it doesn't have to be a bunch of old white guys dictating what language is. And as a matter of fact, it shouldn't be. Historically, old white guys have messed up a lot of stuff. They've had their time in the spotlight. Give the stage to the other other people to write the story of our society and of our culture. Yeah. Haven't y'all seen Star Wars? Just talking about the evolution of language, too. You know, Maggie, with what you were saying is, you know, two-spirited. One that's, I don't want to go down too much of like a language colonizing or language like imperialism. But two-spirited, you said that's like a specific tribe. But it also kind of operates within a binary as well. Yeah, it still it it still creates kind of a binary, and there's a lot of people that have a hard time with using the label of two spirited. There's a lot of controversial people out there who like to try and use two spirited that are not indigenous, and that also creates issues. And so, you know, like two spirited, it's supposed to be. You know, you have more than one spirit trapped in your body, and that was the way that they explained it. But that's just that one tribe. There's plenty of other tribes that have languages that explain. In Cree, there's a word for a man who dresses as a woman. And there's a word for a woman who dresses as a woman but identifies as a man. Like, they, they have the language there. 
And, you know, like as I learned more Cherokee, like I'm really excited because I really want to know what they used to describe the gay community that they had. But that's like one of the other things about Native American languages. They don't use a binary of like feminine or masculine words. When it comes to indigenous languages, it is an animate thing or an inanimate thing. That is it. That's kind of why indigiqueer was like a huge thing. Well, and I think that's sort of what has sparked a lot of this language evolution is that for so long, so many trans people only had the option of trying to be a woman or a man. And just like so many opportunities for expression was lost in that lack of language. And now that we have all these words to describe those experiences, it's really powerful. It's just more of the shortcomings of English, I guess. (laughs) I don't want to go down this language rabbit hole too much because it sounds like there's a lot just we could talk about on the language and how it's evolved to be more inclusive and so i kind of do want to flip the script a little and talk about kind of how people are using language to attack trans rights i mean we said at the very top of the show you know trans rights are human rights but unfortunately we're not seeing that what we're seeing is legal discrimination and legal prejudice especially here in Tennessee. We're also seeing it down in Florida, Arkansas, Mississippi. Most particularly, we're seeing these on in sports bands. And the language is being written to where we're talking about, you know, how identifying, but it's forcing students to compete in these sports that they were assigned at birth rather than the sport they identify with. It's an extremely sensitive community and it's a fragile community at that age. I mean, like young folks are just fragile in general because all it takes is like, you know, you found this hat. It's your favorite hat in the whole wide world and it's yellow, right? Bright fucking yellow. And you're wearing it around and you think it's the coolest hat in the whole wide world. And then some other kid comes up behind you and is like, why are you wearing a yellow hat? That's dumb. And like that breaks that poor kid's heart. And they're they're like, I hate the color yellow. And that's going to shape like the next few years of their life. I mean, that's part of the reason why we have kids in school to learn things and to be active and have fun. They're trying to figure out who they are as tiny human beings, especially if you're talking about gay, trans teenagers, they have the highest suicide rate of all time because of issues of not knowing who they are and being attacked by fellow students. And now they're being attacked by the state they live in. Which means, you know, they always talk about sports are a way to express yourself. You get out there, you play, play your sports ball and you can just be who you are. Well, when you're forcing somebody to live a false identity, then they're not able to express themselves. You're you're forcing a square peg through a round hole. You're not allowing that individual to be who they see themselves as. Yeah. This is a couple of months ago, Saxon. We were having a conversation about climbing competition and how they're gendered. When you go to a competition, you can sign up for the women's or the men's. There's no other section. So you're stuck in that binary, first of all. Then, you know, you go by how advanced you are climbing, which is fine. But Like if you're non-binary or if you're unsure about your gender at that point in time, you're having to stick yourself in a box. 
The thing that I like about writing is that we don't have gender division in our competitions. Actually, I am registered as a professional with the United States Equestrian Federation as non-binary, and my prefix on my registration card is mixed. So there are examples in competitive, I mean, horseback riding is Olympic sport. There's no gender division, even at the Olympics. So... It's possible. It just doesn't make sense to me why we've created this framework that's so divisive and also creates very different expectations for female athletes and male athletes. Oh, yeah. Um, I think that's also a huge issue. One of my favorite things about playing tennis in high school was that our doubles could be mixed sometimes. So like you could have women's or men's doubles that are mixed. At that point in time, if I was questioning... I could have played in a double and gender-wise it wouldn't have mattered. And I mean, talking about kids developmentally, I was a competitive climber when I was in high school and it was it was really hard to have to try to meet these expectations of being like super ripped lady that was really badass and could hang with the boys. Like I, there was no room for me to be feminine. I had to sort of like prove that I deserve to be there which I think is also very limiting in its own way. It just doesn't make sense to have such a big divide, I don't think. One of the other things that they're like, well, what if the girls get hurt? They're playing a sport. We know what we're signing up for when we play. So another argument that I hear specifically against trans girls is that they have an unfair advantage because of like the hormone levels or whatever. Let's talk about how many kids at private schools are getting really expensive coaching that kids maybe at public schools couldn't afford. If we're going to standardize the whole sport and we want to standardize testosterone levels and estrogen levels, then why don't we standardize the education of the coaches? Why don't we standardize the amount of time that kids have to spend taking care of their household, taking care of brothers and siblings or working? I mean, maybe some of these kids can't make as many practices as the other kids on their team because they have a job because they have to help pay for groceries. I mean, we don't know what these kids are going through. So how can we argue that having different testosterone levels is somehow bolstering their advantage? I mean, I don't know. And if you look at a lot of these trans kids, they're just regular kids. Like they win some, they lose some, they're figuring everything out. They're growing their bodies. They're learning new skills. It's they perform just like any other kid does, but we only hear about when they win because that's what fits the narrative. You know, at the end of the day, what's most important with these bills is we got to protect women's sports because clearly women's sports are inferior to men's sports. I mean, we're big, strong muscle. We slam dunk ball, hit hard, run fast, and women are just too frail. But Maggie, we both play a full contact co-ed sport with Quidditch doesn't fucking matter people get laid out I, heck yeah we do and regardless of gender gender fluidity i've seen the smaller players lay the biggest hits on people and then also beyond that playing rugby people don't give a shit about rugby we have trans men and trans women play on teams and no one cares because at the end of the day we're all a bunch of wannabe beer league athletes so the differentiators aren't really that great if you even want to try to go down that bullshit false narrative rabbit hole. But also sports are more than just hit ball hard, run fast. Exactly like what you were saying, Saxon, like 
there's technique, you know, these affluent kids or affluent households are able to afford these ridiculous summer camps where their parents are spending, you know, five grand for a five day clinic. You know, there's technique that goes into it. Whatever you're born with between your legs, like does not factor into how perfect your shooting form is or how well you can get up on the balls of your feet and get into a good running position. That's irrelevant to how you're born. That's to your training and your dedication to a sport. That doesn't matter. The whole like trying to protect girls' sports or protect women's sports argument is completely moot because it's just another form that these guys want to legislate gender minorities because they're old white men that have to keep their way and are completely reactionary to everything and don't want to change and don't want to update and evolve as society evolves and as language evolves to go back to that. They're scared of what the future has to hold because it doesn't include them. Exactly. They're afraid of losing their foothold and not being in power, which is exactly what's going to happen. It's coming. Destroy the patriarchy. Destroy! And white supremacy. Oh, yeah, that too. Talking about how they're trying to legislate. In Tennessee, we call it the slate of hate is a big part of what they're doing to try to legislate discrimination and legalize discrimination and basically state-sanctioned violence against the trans community. Even beyond the sportsmen, they're basically trying to ridicule individuals in public as well. What I'm talking about with that one is the the bathroom sign bill that good old Governor Lee signed a little while ago. And basically, for people who aren't familiar with the bathroom bill, is it requires Tennessee businesses to post signs out front that st- says that they allow people to use a bathroom that they identify with, even if it goes against what their big term that they love to use is biological sex is. So basically, it's a sign that says that they're forcing businesses to put up that says, hey, we allow trans people to use whatever bathroom they prefer. Oh, you mean our basic human right? Yes, exactly. Bitch, I use whatever bathroom I want. I don't care who's on the door. Yeah, I gotta say, if I... Even now, this has been an issue for a while. Like, these these bills, these ideas about trans people being dangerous in bathrooms or predatory, it's not, like, new rhetoric. It's all bullshit. But I gotta say, now that this has been a conversation for a long time, when I walk into businesses and there isn't a gender-neutral bathroom option, I just, like, immediately feel a little bit less welcome and i can't imagine what it would be like to walk past one of these businesses and see that like maybe they're losing business because i would be allowed to use the men's restroom even though i don't really present as male or that some businesses might just straight up say absolutely like i don't know just the idea of people being so willing to be so angry about fucking bathroom it blows my mind if you have two restrooms just make them both gender neutral it helps you in the long run i mean you got more available for everybody because everybody can use those it's just inclusive there's no downside you know what here's what we do so when you go to a music when you go to a music festival you know what's not gendered the porta potties. The fucking porta potties. Do you know it still happens? People get attacked. You know why? Cause people be crazy. It's gonna happen no matter what. Like it's more about trying to police 
people because like sex and what you were saying like the problem is predatory men and women not trans individuals not trans people it's people that want that know the privacy of a bathroom and can leverage that to commit whatever abuses that they're going to and they're going to regardless like even if it's in a bathroom or not they'll find a way because shitty people are shitty and will find a way to do shitty things to me all that is is an argument in favor of single room bathrooms that lock why don't we just take away the whole lots of stalls or lots of urinals and just individual bathrooms? I mean, it might be a little bit more different, difficult at a place like a mall or an airport. But if we're really that concerned about people getting assaulted in bathrooms and it's that big of a deal and it's that dangerous, then why are we worried about gender and not about the accessibility in general of those restrooms? Because no matter the sign on the door, the reality is that anybody can go in anywhere. No matter the laws, no matter, like, physically I can do whatever the hell I want no matter what your sign says. And if I'm a predatory person, I'm going to take advantage of that. Another upside to your theory, Saxon, of having individual bathrooms where it's one person, like, don't have to worry about anything else. When the guy in front of you goes in there and just pisses everywhere and now you're, like, having to use the bathroom standing in a pool of, like, some other dude's piss... You can you know exactly who that is, so you can call out that old dude for like his catheter being malfunctioning, and then going to like air, airports or sports stadiums. I don't have to do the trough. So men's bath for people who don't know, in ninety percent of sports stadiums across America that were built before like two thousand, the men's bathroom is literally a trough. It is like a 20-foot wall trough. No barriers, nothing. And if we go to single-use bathrooms, that's gone. You create an inclusive bathroom space that everyone feels comfortable in. You know, I have seen uh, stalled restrooms retroactively fitted with uh, not only floor-to-ceiling walls, but floor-to-ceiling doors and a small sink inside of each stall. And that was a very easy way. It was, I believe it was a bar in Philadelphia that I went to. And that was a very easy way for that establishment to switch over their maybe six stalls or so. It was, you know, smaller stalled bathrooms, but they did the work to make that retroactive so that every single person that uses those stalls not only has a little bit of extra privacy don't have to share a sink that whole like awkward both reach for the soap thing don't have to worry about that you just go in you get your own room you do your business and you're done and nobody gives a shit yeah just it's it's amazing what again these like these reactionary aristocrats will do in order to police the slightest behavior that makes them uncomfortable and again, I don't understand why the fact that, you know, they're more comfortable using a trough than they are having like their own private bathroom. And this bathroom bill, it is the first in the country. We are the, Tennessee's the first state in the country to pass a bill like this. So we're setting the bar real low for the rest of the states to do a discrimination. So that's, that's exciting. I also just want to say on that, there are people in government that do think this bat bill is just batshit crazy. Outside of in members like Gloria Johnson who have come out against it, the Nashville district attorney has come out and said he his office will not be enforcing this bathroom signage bill. So 
Nashville, the most populous city in our state, I think it's like close to 50% of the population or like 40 to 50% of the population. The district attorney is saying, nope, we're not touching this. Businesses, you keep doing what you've been doing. If you don't have your sign up, okay, I'm not going to require you to put this sign up because it's dumb and we shouldn't have a bill that polices a fucking bathroom. Also, like, you're wasting a business's time. It does speak to how the system is messed up, though. Like, if those are not the views that are reflected by the public, if the majority of the public doesn't give a fuck about who uses bathrooms, then why do our elected officials care so much? Yeah, you guys could be doing so much better things. Like, you could be proposing bills that are gonna fix your poverty issue in your state. There are bills that you could use to fix your infrastructure in your state. There are bills that you could use to legalize weed in your state so you can fix your infrastructure and fix your poverty. It's about time we had some new people that actually represent the huge queer population of the South. There are so many queer people in the South, and I don't think we're being represented. This brings us to a good point. You know who's been a good ally this whole podcast? Who, who's that, Maggie? <laughs> Our very lovely cisgendered friend, Gabe. Gabe, you're, you're being such a good ally. Being an ally is literally the bare minimum of human decency. There are a lot of things to learn. You know, we've all grown up with these ideas. We're not going to unlearn that over. I misgender myself all the time. Are you kidding me? All the time. Like when I'm talking to myself, I lived 20 years truly believing, truly doing my best to be a woman. I really tried. And I give myself a lot of credit for that. But, you know, I have a lot of work to do. I'm not exempt from any of that as a trans person. And if we haven't done the work to really dive deep into how our identities were shaped by all of these patriarchal, cis-normative, heteronormative ideas, then it's kind of hard to make progress. But that work is not easy to do. No, it isn't easy. And the first step of being an ally is accepting that you're wrong sometimes. <laughs> That's really huge. And that you don't know everything. You know, there's no arriving at not being transphobic. There's no arriving at not being homophobic. We are all a little bit homophobic all the time. We are all a little bit transphobic all the time. And that's just part of the process. We're never going to completely unlearn those things. And things are always going to evolve. We're always going to have new things to learn as well. So that is a really important part about being an ally if you're interested in being an ally. Yeah. It's a commitment. It's not just, oh, I, uh, I'm i good now. Everybody tell me I did good. I'm an ally. I love gay people. That's not how it works. It's a lifelong commitment. And it also means that sometimes you're going to get into some really awkward situations. Like you're going to see someone that you knew in high school and you'll be like, hey, Rachel. And Rachel's like, my name's Richard now. And you're like, oh, okay. So instead of focusing on that, what you do is you go, well, hey, Richard, it's really good to see you. I haven't seen you in a long time. Like you just skip over it. Don't apologize. Don't do anything about that. You just you just go with it. And I know pronouns also can be really difficult. I know that even now I feel a little bit awkward asking people their pronouns that I don't know because it's a little bit like I'm kind of like outing myself as like there's probably a reason that this person is asking pronouns. You know, like we still have a lot of work to do to normalize that in our introductions. I think one of the good things to do for pronouns is to if you're in a situation 
where maybe a group situation where you're meeting someone for the first time and you're not really sure of the pronouns that they use, just listen. I think that that's really a powerful tool is just listen to people, listen to how other people refer to them, listen to how they refer to themselves. And that goes for any sort of conversation you have with any trans person. We're proud of who we are. And I think that we're scared to share that. But I think that if we had the option, we would want to share our experiences. So when we drop those little nuggets, pay attention. I think listening is listening will get you really far. And it, it also goes a little bit further of, of when you do introductions, you know, you you try not to use, well, hello, ma'am, how are you? That kind of stuff. And it's really hard to do in the South. It's automatically what we do when we greet someone. Like I work as a beer tender and it's so hard to be like, hey, what can I get you, ma'am? Because that's just like the common courtesy thing. I think also talking about being wrong, probably one of the things that you're going to get wrong is... <laughs> as an ally is asking questions that are a little bit too personal. You know, you might feel like you have a good connection with somebody and it's good to ask questions when you feel that you have an appropriate connection with that person. Obviously don't ask very personal questions about someone's relationship with their gender when you've just met them. That's really inappropriate. But if you have trans friends, start those conversations. Like I said, we really want to talk about our our identities, but don't enter those conversations expecting to leave enlightened about that person. Be willing to accept that that person might say, that's a little bit too personal and I don't feel comfortable sharing that. Be ready to to take that person <laughs> and whatever they are in that moment and just love them for what they give you and what they're willing to share. Express that you care about them and you're not there to judge and that you're just interested about their experience and those connections can be really powerful. Um, and that is honestly the best way to learn about the trans experiences. Have have trans friends, not for the sake of having trans friends, but because trans people are fucking cool and we're everywhere. You know trans people, even if you don't think that you know a trans person, you do. And if they're not out to you, there's a reason. <laughs> and it might be because they're not sure. Well, by being a good ally, it makes it easier for them to have hard conversations with you. You're kind of from this end of it, it sounds like the biggest thing is just listening to people and taking their experience for what it is and not doubting when someone says, hey, this is a really shitty situation or what you said was really ignorant, not just writing it off as them being ungrateful or upset, but actually taking it to heart. Like, uh, I can't judge your lived experience. You you don't know a person until you walk a mile in their shoes or, or whatever that saying is. It almost seems like when you start talking about people's identity, that whole phrase gets thrown out the window. And if their lived experience doesn't mesh up with what you envision, how could how they have presented themselves to you for the four years you were in high school, the you know seven years you grew up across the street from each other. You know, if it doesn't mesh up with what you created in your head, then people just throw out that entire experience. That just creates a lot of a really hostile environment full of microaggressions. Even I do microaggressions accidentally. I am queer. I'm a part of the queer community. I still fuck up all the time. And it's, it's okay. Being a good ally, some of my favorite people in my life are the ones that also are there ready to stand up for my rights. Like when it comes to explaining a person's identity? No, you can't do that. But standing up for that person to have the identity that they want to have, you can do that. You see 
things happening in your town and your high school and your middle school, you know, that your kids are at and you want to make a difference, go out there and try to make a difference. Like, even if you're not doing it perfect, you're still doing something that maybe other people are seeing that they weren't able to do it right away. And that's what like being a super ally is. I think it's important to use Google. I am begging you before you ask a trans person questions, Google that shit. And if you can't find a personal enough answer that answers your question, or if it really comes down to you really want to know specifically about that person, then ask. But Google first. Seriously, put all your stupid questions in Google. It's amazing. Like, it will really help. That's how I came to realize that I'm a trans person, is I started by putting stupid questions into Google. And that's how I started, like, unlearning all of this. You know, we all grew up, at least our generation, we grew up where we had a lot of access to the internet. And it was sort of when, you know, we're just evolving all of this language. So that that was my exposure. I didn't have trans people to look up to. I've done all this work from shit I read on Tumblr. Now that we have queer theory and academics that study this, then I have real resources that I can go to. I have places I can go and ask questions. I have trans elders that can help me answer those personal questions about myself. But I started out asking dumb questions on Google. And if you want to be a good ally, knowledge is power. No one can take away the things that you learn and the things that you know. And the more that you know, then the better equipped you are to help your queer friends and your loved ones. Please Google things. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> Might help avoid a really awkward conversation of them being that like, too. I'm not comfortable with talking about this. And you getting like, kind of like, well, it's a really simple question. I don't understand. <laughs> Meanwhile, the person you just asked that question to is dealing with a whole lot of trauma in their brain from what they went through in high school or in college or a week ago. Like it, it happens all the time. Or if you see someone doing a mean thing to a queer person, then you can be like, hey, you shouldn't say that because this and this and this and you'll sound really fucking smart. And that always feels good, too. So, you know, it helps in a lot of ways. Learning is learning is good and Google is helpful. Don't feel bad about Googling dumb things. You have to start somewhere. And the sooner you start, then the further you're going to be able to get. So there's definitely... A still a lot more to unpack when talking about trans rights and what we as a society can do and further that cause. Because again, we've said it multiple times, trans rights are human rights. Gender right is a spectrum. Everything is basically, we've learned that everything is basically a spectrum at this point. So it makes no sense to discriminate against anybody anywhere on that spectrum. So there's a lot more work that we have to do as allies to the community so we'll definitely probably pick this up again at a later date, uh, especially because we've talked about a lot more bills are coming out across the South and across the U.S. trying to codify these different forms of aggression and discrimination against uh, the LGBTQIA plus community and the trans community. But we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we've got some people that just need a good old bless your heart. Charles Koch and the Koch Foundation spent millions advocating for the rights of certain individuals. Because of their steadfast dedication and advocacy, they are great allies to corporate interests and the billionaire class. When the tide turns against the richest Americans, they are often the first ones to step in and push back against any infringement. Charles Koch, I'm an ally to those in my tax bracket. 
just as we close out we've just got a few people or groups of individuals that really just need our thoughts and prayers and just bless their heart it's bless your heart with bobby june hello hello oh my you little angels look at you just so wonderful thank you and bless your heart bless your heart saxon you want to open us up as a vaccinated person Bless your heart if you are still regularly not wearing your mask in public. I understand that the CDC has offered us the option of not doing that, but let's consider not only the fact that the flu rate was so low, there were so few flu cases last fall, but let's also consider the fact that there are some variants in other parts of the world that our vaccine response may or may not respond to. Let's also consider the fact that many service workers have had to deal with just absolute jackasses breathing in their faces all through this pandemic. I think the least we can do is to so show a little bit of solidarity, have some hygiene, and just wear your masks, please. They're cute now. They come in all colors. You can match them to your outfit. Just please wear, please wear your mask. I'm tired of being sneezed on. I think it was like something like, it was like less than like 4,000 cases of the flu or something like that this year. That was like not even deaths. That was cases. So low. My new favorite thing to say is I can't believe I've let people breathe on me for so long. And if you're a makeup wearer, that's like now half your face, so you don't have to worry about put having to put makeup on. All you got to do is your eyes. Exactly! I don't wear makeup. I mean, I'm, I'm just naturally gorgeous, so I don't have to worry about it. That's true. Maggie, who do you who think just needs a good old bless your heart for them to make it through the week? My bless your heart has probably got to be everyone that decided suddenly that the insurrection didn't happen. Mitch McConnell! Bless your heart. I just send you all my thoughts and prayers, and I promise none of them are negative. I mean, it was just a it was just a peaceful tour through the Capitol. Oh, so what is in the Trump juice? And y'all are drinking some good stuff. It's real good stuff. That's not real good Trump juice. Not I don't know what it is. Real good Trump Kool-Aid. It sticks around for a while. Here I thought the Reagan juice was good. Close out our bless your heart. I want to talk about anyone who thinks the Chamber of Commerce is a legitimate organization. If you're unfamiliar with it, you see the Chamber of Commerce plaques up in all of your local businesses and your banks and proud member of the Knox County Chamber of Commerce, proud member of the Loudoun County Chamber of Commerce. All the Chamber of Commerce is, is a pro-business, ultra-conservative lobbying firm. They're interested in keeping the status quo of a hyper-capitalist society. A great example of that is after the latest statements by our favorite senators, Kirsten Sinema and Joe Manchin, where they came out against raising the minimum wage to a living wage of $15 an hour, those two senators were quickly blessed with some campaign contributions by the Chamber of Commerce. That should tell you 
everything that they are about. Their interest is solely protecting the ruling class by them being able to exploit the labor of the workers. That's all the Chamber of Commerce is about. They just want to make sure rich people be staying rich. If you believe the Chamber of Commerce is an upright moral organization that really helps out the communities, bless your heart. All right. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. We had a great time today and hoping we can take what we've learned and discussed here and keep pushing the needle ever closer to progress. Saxon, you got any pluggables for us or do you have an Internet home? Yeah. So find me on all the places at Saxonogy, S-A-X-O-N-O-G-Y. I mostly talk about horses, but if you have trans questions that you want to ask me that you have Googled first, please put those in my DMs. And also, if you are a trans equestrian professional of any kind, I mostly work with eventers and dressage horses, but I am always down to meet other trans equestrians. Come be my friend in real life, please. I love you all. That's me. Maggie, where on the World Wide Web do you live? So you can find me on Twitter and on Instagram by searching... L-I-L-M-I-S-S-K-N-I-T, Lil Miss Knit. I also have a couple of organizations that we could shout out to that if you want to be a hella ally. There's Trans Empowerment Project, the Appalachian Outreach, Tennessee Equality Project, the East Tennessee Valley Homeless Coalition, and The Bottom Knox. If you have money to spend, it's Pride Month. Pull your wallet out. Don't buy rainbow capitalism shit donate to actual queer people that actually need help because the system is very much still failing us and we are very much still struggling we've made a lot of progress but there is a lot of work to do awesome yeah we'll definitely link those organizations out in the show notes for this so people can find those much easier in the meantime be sure to follow us on twitter at pod underscore south you can also find me on twitter at gram 851 and after you like us and check out our sweet library, leave us those beautiful, delicious five-star reviews as they help others discover us and hear the siren song of Appalachian leftists. Thank you, everyone, and have a great day. Hot pot of the South, not your daddy's Appalachian. Hot pot of the South, progress cannot wait.